Hi, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by the Veterans Association Food Bank. You can find them at veteransassociationfoodbank.ca. They are dedicated to supporting and enriching the lives of veterans and their families. As a community of veterans helping veterans, they support the base where together they create healthy and resilient futures. They do more than just feed veterans in need. There's all kinds of programs that they have to support the veteran community. So please consider giving veteransassociationfoodbank.ca. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible, with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining me today. A bunch of years ago, I was at some kind of PTSD symposium. I don't even remember what the name of it was. It was in Canmore, beautiful place, and all kinds of presenters were there. And one of the absolute standouts was Dan Sun, Daniel Sundal. And the art that he produces within the first responder space is spectacular. And I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a combination of photorealism and watercolor. <laughs> you just have to check it out at uh, dansunphotos.com. Dan, is there another website or is that the main one? Dansunphotos.com. That's, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the main website. That's, that's where you can find most of my stuff. It links to other websites, but that's the landing page. When did you get started with art? Uh, well, I've always been... Uh, artistic, I guess, as a young kid, uh, when in school, if you're asked to draw something and I think I have a picture that I did and I think it was in grade three or something where I had to draw something for this folder and I still have it and I look at it and I'm like, God, what is wrong with this kid? He <laughs> drew this pirate ship with all this weird stuff going on. Uh, it was, it was pretty creative back then. And I've always been, uh, you know, I play music, I play guitar. And so I've always been that way. So it's always been a uh, something I've always done, uh, the creative process for me. <clears throat> and then when I developed uh, PTSD, my therapist and I, well, mostly my therapist thought that I should use that creativity to process and purge some of the experiences I've had as a paramedic and firefighter. Has that been working? Yeah, yeah, he was right. I thought it was a horrible idea at first because <laughs> that meant I had to think about stuff when I really wanted to just forget about the things I experienced and he says, no, you need to process it and get right into it. I'm like, oh, that's a horrible idea. But he was right. Yeah, well, was that, that was my big uh, question for you, really, is was it cathartic or was it taxing? So you're saying it's purely cathartic and it's not taxing at all? That's surprising uh, oh, to me. Yeah, no, it's, it is taxing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not easy. Uh, and there's a lot of emotion in it. So when I create, well, this is how the process works for me, is I... Um, there's a, a feeling or an emotion, not necessarily a flashback or images, 
sometimes it's just a feeling and it just haunts my memory and it just I say it invades my consciousness uninvited this organic monster that lives in my head okay and that's kind of the material that I use to to create the artwork so I'll kind of sit and think about that emotion and then an image pops into my head of how to how to describe an image that portrays that complex emotion or feeling and then I stage the photo with my peers and coworkers, and then I photograph it, and then I digitally draw and paint on top of it. But when I'm doing that, I'm trying to recreate more what I felt versus what I saw. And that so that part is very, I don't know if I'd say it was taxing, but it's very emotional. And it has to be that way. It has to be authentic. I have to be real. While I'm doing that process, I'm not thinking, you know, what are people going to think? Are people going to like it? It's more of me getting this stuff out of my head. So it has to be real and authentic. So yeah, at the end, it's, it's kind of like a, like a memory dump kind of onto this trap in this two dimensional picture. And then that, that emotion or that feeling doesn't pop into my head anymore after I'm done. So I think that emotion comes out and that feeling comes out on the, in the artwork. Do you find that there's any particular colors that associate with different feelings and emotions? Uh, as a, for instance, I had a psilocybin experience and I, oh. uh, there, there is, um, dusty rose was the color of love, which is interesting because my, um, uh, just over my right shoulder here, uh, the, um, acoustical tiling is dusty rose. I'm like, that's interesting that I would have chosen that. <laughs> but um, is there anything like that that's applied to your art or is that a part of the yeah, process? Yeah, I, I, I think so. It's, yeah, I always associate, I do a lot of images that are split between, and I kind of say good and evil, but what I really mean is trauma and recovery. Mm. And I use, um, yeah, other like red and blue seem to be the two colors that I use, red for trauma and then blue for for recovery, like a lighter blue is kind of how I, what I envision it as. So sometimes I do use that color scheme in some of the artwork that I've done. Um, but yeah, I think color 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 theory in itself is is really important. I think in artwork um, and in emotions and how you're processing things. So yeah, I do try to use that in my artwork. Curious Kiro, if I think is the, is the name of it, the use of of light in your work is really amazing. Uh, it seems like you, you put a lot of focus on the use of light. It's, a, it's just beautiful. Yeah, that's that's a huge part of it. That That is probably the biggest part when I'm creating the artwork of, is, you know, where the light is coming from. And it's amazing how much difference putting a spotlight on a certain part of the image where people don't even notice it. But if it's not there, it really looks quite a bit different. Uh, even if it's... I do a lot of stuff on the back of the ambulance, a lot of um, scenario-based artwork in the back of the ambulance, and I'll just put a put a spotlight on the side. It doesn't seem like it does anything, but just having that spot there really seems to change the dynamic of the of the picture. So yeah, so light light's a huge part of of art, I think. So I, I'm quite conscious, and I'm still learning quite a bit about how to best use that and to portray the emotion that I'm trying to get through in my artwork. Have you had some interesting surprises where your intent for a piece was one thing, but uh, what people's yeah. reaction was something else? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I wasn't. I didn't think that's where you're going to go with that question, but but yes, absolutely. So I, when I create the artwork, it's my. I have to be authentic to myself. I just posted a picture yesterday. It was pretty graphic, and so I kind of, 
um, but it wasn't gratuitous. It wasn't, it was, it has to be real in order for it to be therapeutic for me. So I don't sen- I don't censor the artwork. So I never think, what are people going to think? Are people going to be offended? Are people going to be triggered by it? Because if I did that, then it wouldn't be a, a healing process for me. It has to be done. Well, it would myself. lose its authenticity but, as well. Yeah. And I think people, I think my peers get that. But yeah, sometimes I'll create an, an image and think, oh, I don't think people are going to get this one. This one's kind of way out of left field, and I don't know if people are going to get it. But those are the ones that people really seem to really seem to connect with. So the more obscure I think it is, the more connecting it is to other people that are feeling the same way. And that in itself is a, is a very healing process for me because that makes me feel I'm not alone, even though I think, well, this is a weird one. I wonder what, how people are going to react. And it's, I think with the artwork, it's less about the image and more about the viewer's experiences. So I can create an art piece based on my own experiences, and then someone will look at it and attach their own experiences to it. So people can look at the same image and have completely different reactions to it based on what their experiences and traumas or work has been in their life. So where did you think I was going with uh, the surprise question? Yeah, I thought you were going to say if, you know, when I start an art piece, does it end up something different than I mm. initially intended to create? And that happens too, where I have that sure. image that pops into my head and then I try to recreate that picture. And then as I'm creating it, it kind of has a life of its own and often it ends up different than what I first intended, but still successful in portraying that authenticity of that emotion I'm feeling. Have you had some uh, private messages where people say, thank you for your art? Has it it put anybody on a healing journey? Have they reached out for help as a result of uh, seeing your pieces? Uh, Yes, quite often. We get several emails every day, uh, lots of emails every day from people. Um, They look at the images and then they realize that, that they're not alone either. If I'm able to portray the complex emotions they're having. Uh, this is what I'm told from people that um, that makes them feel that they're not alone. So yeah, it's as an artist, it's it's incredible. Uh, that's the biggest compliment I could I could get when someone and several times people have said their art has actually saved their life. Wow. Um, what again is I think is less about the artwork and more about what the experiences they're having. But uh, yeah, that's that that's really uh, amazing for me, and that's I'm honored and that I'm able to do that for my peers. One of the the mottos that I use is recover out loud. And that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. with your artwork. Um, You are sharing your story through the artwork. And it puts out there that people are not alone. By looking at an image of going, oh my God, uh, this bag of cats that I have in my head, uh, I'm not the only one. I'm, I'm not alone. And it's that sense of connection that your artwork provides that um, that is the injury of PTSD is disconnection. It disconnects you from yourself, from your community, and you think you're the only one. You think you're alone. And that's the power of telling your story through whatever medium you want to tell it, whether it be in, um, in, in written form, 
podcast form like I do or in art. Either way, you sharing your story is what shaves, saves lives. I was a guest on another show a while ago, and he's got way more capabilities than I do when it comes to uh, uh, video art. So he put together a little montage about a story that I've told often of my aha moment, which was horrible. Um, I was my youngest son, Dawson, when he was about nine years old, takes his plate to the dishwasher, tips the plate, the crumbs hit the floor, and I hit the frickin' roof. And, Dawson, what the hell is wrong with you? And I watched his face melt. I watched him break. And then my wife put her hand on my shoulder and said, Mark, they're, they're just crumbs. We can clean those up. Yeah. So he did a, a very short montage of, of me telling that story. Because that was my holy shit moment. I was like, oh my God, I've got to fix this. My, I cannot continue like this. Um, I, I've got to do it for my kids. But that little clip has, has got over 100,000 views in the last week. And uh, I've had people reaching out to me left and right saying thank you. But that's the power of telling your story. I don't want to tell that story to anybody. You know, it's shameful. It's terrible. And it's incredibly common. And that's the courage that uh, you have in telling your story through art. Yeah, it's, yeah, I totally connect with that because people, and I can totally see why people would get that. It's not, and I was there too, you know, it's just that loud noise or that sudden thing and the fuse is really short. So when a fuse gets lit, it gets lit pretty hot, pretty quick. Uh, and you really never know what's going to, what's going to trigger that. Uh, it's great that you noticed that, hey, that's not a normal reaction to that. So that's, that's great. But yeah, I think, I think sharing the story and really gives other people permission to be, to be okay to process what they're going through. Uh, and, and I speak at a lot of conferences and when I, when I talk, I really try to focus on post-traumatic growth. So yeah. I share my story, I share my symptoms, I share um, my recovery, what I did to recover. And then I talk about post-traumatic growth, about if you can you know, you, is your demon, meaning trauma, is your trauma walking you, or are you going to walk your trauma? Meaning that if you can do the work to recover, rewire your brain through therapy, whatever your mode of therapy is, potentially or probably, in the, my experiences of the peers and people that I've met, you can become better than you were even before your trauma. Well, Mark, that's, you're, that's you're it. That too. Yeah. You're, you're, you're proof of that. You're, you're, it's post-traumatic growth, the stuff that you're doing. Uh, with this podcast and the people that you're reaching, that's um, that's I think that's a good example of post-traumatic growth. It's unfortunate that um, this is what you have to go through to grow, but it is, yeah. and it's like that with with anything though. Um, if you want to get physically stronger, you have to push yourself in the gym. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. You got to lift heavy heavy stuff, and if you want to develop as a human being, you need challenges. You can't uh, have a life of butterflies, unicorn farts, and rainbows and expect to become hardened steel. If you want to be a strong person, you need strong obstacles to overcome. There's just no way around it. And that's the gift of trauma. Uh, People don't uh, gift. That ain't no gift. If it was a gift, I could give it back. But it it is a gift. Um, the, The gift of trauma is the person that you get to be if you manage to overcome it, mm-hmm. there's um, all too common. You hear people say there, there is no coming back from PTSD. The best you can do is just learn how to manage it. Yeah. 
What say you about that constant trope I keep hearing, Dan? Yeah, I hear that a lot too, where people are saying they just want to get back to close to where they were. And I think the problem with that is if you have that mindset, um, then then that's going to be a hard a hard shell to get out of. Psychologists call it a walnut brain, where you're kind of trapped inside your brain where you really can't get out because of how you're self-identifying in addition to the chemical changes that are happening in your brain with trauma. But yeah, it's um, that's why I really try to, any opportunity I get to talk about post-traumatic growth, I want to do that because a lot of people don't even know what that is, but it's there's examples of that all around us where, yes, we want to recover, and the faster we recover is resiliency, but potentially you can use this I think most emergency workers are pretty smart people, generally speaking. And I think we can we have the ability to to use that trauma to our advantage. Right? Again, are you walking your trauma? Is your trauma walking you? Once once you have the capacity to do so, uh, you know, for me when I was pretty deep in my trauma, my brain chemistry was altered and I really didn't know really couldn't see my hand in front of my face and I I kind of went down to food, water, shelter was my priorities. I really didn't have the ability to do anything other than that. But once you start recovering and once you start getting your capacity back, then, yeah, I, I, I see examples of, it all, examples of it all the time. And I think that's another reason why it's important to share your story um, where people that are maybe thinking that. And, again, of course, it depends on the, on the severity of the trauma or the PTSD or the injury that you have. Uh, depends on how easily it is for you to break out of that. But... I think for many of us who have had severe PTSD and trauma uh, are now thriving because of it. And I think we can share that story to other people and might give them permission or might give them maybe permission isn't the right word, but they can realize and see that, Hey, if, if Mark can do that, if Dan can do that, then why can't I, I'm no different than anybody else. It's um, the, it's the power of me too. Um, I've had Theo Fleury on a few times and, I mean, how difficult would it be to say, yeah, I was raped by my coach 150 times. I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ, that is a tough thing to talk about. But he does it, and because he has the strength and the transparency and the honesty to to just say it, because that's what happened, um, that gives others that... That that Me Too experience of, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. If it can happen to this NHL superstar, um, okay, you know, I, I can yeah. I, I can recover from this. I can move forward. Yeah, I think that's a big it's peer support. Uh, it whatever is whatever that means because everyone has different ex- definitions of what peer support means. But mm. you don't need to be a you know a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist or a counselor. You just need to be a brother or a sister. Um, I think that has a lot of power for for us and recovering because if we get our I think again, I'm just talking on my own my own experiences. But if I have permission from my peers to feel this way and process this, well, that makes it a lot easier for me, right? And uh, that was kind of happened with me with my artwork when I started creating this artwork and started to share it, thinking that people are going to hate it because it showed vulnerability and weird ghosts and demons, and it was kind of weird uh, when the exact opposite happened. And not everybody likes my artwork. I'll say that, but. But some people really connected with it, and that really gave me permission. It made me feel good that, you know, I'm a, 
I'm okay to feel this way. And in fact, it's kind of normal. And that kind of let me believe that, okay, well now I can move forward. You know, like I'm, I can move forward now that I, this is a, I don't want to say comma, but it's something that is other people have experienced then. And once I was diagnosed and figured out what it was, and then I got a treatment plan and then I got better. So yeah, it's, um, it's scary, but I think if we acknowledge, I think if we acknowledge what's happening, uh, instead of shoveling underneath the sweeping it under the rug, uh, I think that's better. I I like to think of myself as a tragic optimist. Tragic meaning that I recognize what's happening and I acknowledge it and I'm authentic about it. I don't sugarcoat it. I, I'm not gratuitous about it, but uh, I'm authentic about it. But I'm optimistic about it. So I I recognize it, but it's not. Yeah, I have PTSD. Well, it, it reaches beyond our, our peer groups as well. I mean, listening to you, it occurs to me that the idea of Me Too is peer support. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, that's what yeah. makes it a quote-unquote safe space, is that done right, and where there's no judgment means it's done right. Um, just that idea of I'm not alone, there's other people that are in the same boat, that's the magic of peer support is that simple simple me too and the images that you produce throw that out there and anybody who would um, be revolted by your work um, which I think is probably the right term Mm -hmm. when when the student is ready the teacher will appear if you're not ready to face your own shit um, they're going to be revolted by your work not drawn to it if You are a bubble person, I like to call them. All the people that aren't us, they haven't seen the shit that we've seen and haven't done the things that we've done. Um, they haven't seen the devil, as I like to say. Yeah. Um, they're going to see your work, and uh, that's going to upset their world. You know, it's like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not how it works. It's like, yeah, no, that is how it works. Yeah, that's, that's what it's like. It's right yeah. there in the artwork. And uh, if you're just simply not prepared for that reality, that we all know all too well, um, they, they will be revolted by your work because life is tragic, man. That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah my, my mom, I love my mom, my mother, but she doesn't understand my artwork, and I'm kind of glad she doesn't. Yeah. But I'll create something, and she follows me on social media, and she'll call and goes, Dan, why did, why did you... Why is this so gross? Why do you do that? I don't understand. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, mom, it's it's okay. Like, I love you, but she's really confused by some of the stuff. Sure. I think she's better at it now. And then other people will look at it and they'll have a visceral reaction, like an angry reaction. Like I get a lot of messages from people that are not happy with what I'm doing. Uh, but I recognize that that again is less about the artwork and more about their own experiences. Because I well, think it's in where some cases, at. in some cases where and I was like this. I was, I was a toxic positivist, which is the opposite of a <laughs> where I was shoveling everything out of the rug and just trying, you know, I was toxic with my positive and like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm like, okay, I'm okay, but I'm going to kill myself and then I'll be, I'll be better. You know, I had that kind of attitude. Uh, it's kind of weird when I think about it now. Um, but I think when people look at my artwork and it kind of digs down deep into what they're experiencing, kind of forces them to deal with what's underneath the rug. And some people get angry at that and they lash out at me and, and I'm totally okay with that because I recognize that it's less about the artwork and more about them. And I'm, and if it forces them to kind of acknowledge what's going on, 
Well, if you call somebody an asshole, they typically don't like that. But the truth yeah. is the, that step one on uh, the healing journey is realizing that the symptoms of PTSD make you an asshole. <laughs> yeah, they, they totally do. Yeah, they so totally do. until yeah. you could look in the mirror, which is what your artwork does, it's like, like this is what you've been exposed to. It's like, no, it's not. Well, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is what you've been exposed to. This is what you went through. Nope, nope, not me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. But, uh, but you did go through it. But nobody wants to look in the mirror. And it's uh, the same with addiction. You know, the first step is realizing, oh, shit, I've got a problem. You know, and realizing that, oh, shit, I'm the asshole. I'm being a yeah. jerk. And I don't want to be, but my amygdala is all fried. So <laughs> that's just what's happening because I don't understand. And um, until somebody takes that personal responsibility. And how do you take personal responsibility if you don't even acknowledge what you've been through? Or if you don't even know. Like for, for me, I didn't even know. I didn't have like a typical PTSD diagnosis. So it wasn't, okay, I'm normal. And then I had that one event and then that acute event. And then because of that, now I'm impaired, yeah. which is a lot of people, which is the normal thought process of what people think PTSD is. But for me, it was 20 years of gradual and continuous stresses. So all these symptoms started to sneak up on me. So I didn't even know that I was, I didn't know that I was an asshole, right? I didn't know that I was, <laughs> you know, I was having all these emotions that came in and I always thought it was somebody else. Oh, yeah. Because I never recognized it as these are symptoms of the trauma I experienced. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, that, that was a really scary part of it because that wasn't clear to me as what was happening. Well, we're so good at the finger pointing, right? If we're upset, it's a natural assumption that, well, you're making me upset. You know, I, yeah. I, I awkwardly, um, I just a, my previous episode was a monologue about understanding anger. And I was awkward uh, explaining the narcissistic uh, part of it. So I'll try to clear that up as best as I can. But when we feel offended, that's our feeling. It's not necessarily um, the fault of the person who we are offended by. You know, they're not necessarily doing something offensive for us to feel offended. Yeah. You know, and um, I, I, here's an example. A world event happens. The, the invasion in Ukraine, do you take that as a personal attack on yourself? Or better yet, um, uh, the hurricane that just hit. How could you do that to me, Mr. Hurricane? How could you do that to me? You know, like that would be pretty narcissistic to, to blame a hurricane or, or to be upset at that hurricane. You know, as if that hurricane is there just for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, and yet that's what we do when we're offended all the time. You know, we we think that the whole world is out there to get us. The whole world's out there to offend us, um, or to to make us angry. <laughs> no, the you, your external feelings is a reflection of the internal chaos that's going on that you may not be aware of. But yeah. it's it's um, it's it, but we have this situational narcissism where we think it's all about us. Why are you treating me like this, Hurricane? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's just yeah. a hurricane. It, you know the. It's uh, it's not about you. And that and you're right. And that's that's a great example using the hurricane. That that really puts it in perspective. But it even that I 
that's very prevalent. I think in now with in emergency services where people are are that way, where it's you know they. I always just say, you know, just be nice to people because you don't know what other people are going through. Everyone, you don't know what other people are, are dealing with. And if you, I can't remember who told me this, but someone said, you know, if you're really, if someone does something that really, really upsets you, uh, the only person that's really hurt is you. Right? Yeah. You can be angry at that person, but they don't. And I'm using this in a workplace setting. Well, look, let's say your supervisor or your officer uh, does something that you feel is really I guess, there's, I guess there's limits of what can and can't be done, but your perception, how about that perceived, your perception of perceived injustice, let's say, uh, really isn't going to affect the person that you feel wronged you, but you will have that negative emotion that's going to eat you up, um, but it's not really affecting the person that you're you're doing them. So you're right, it's really an internal process. And in order for me to overcome that, I really need to look internally to and, and even when something is directly done to you, um, if they knew better, they'd do better. If they had more, they'd give more. An example of that, and I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. We have uh, a couple of villains in common that have uh, damaged us both uh, when we were in a war zone. And uh, one of those villains, once I uh, explained to my friend something about this man, he went, oh. Well, shit, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that explains a lot. And here's the, uh, the, the example. Um, I was the driver for our platoon commander, um, Big Fat Frank, we called him. <laughs> and uh, Sounds like a nice guy. <laughs> oh, he was such a prick. But, um, but he had a reason. Um, so I was his platoon driver, or his personal driver, for a couple of days before he fired me. And uh, we jump, and he doesn't tell me anything. Uh, it's just like, go that way. All right. Now, we're in the most heavily mined area in the world, in uh, the Kraina of Croatia, uh, the Serb-held Croatia. And, uh, like, landmines frickin' everywhere, and some, some doozies, too. Um, so you stay on the hard pack. You stay on the pavement. That's just rule number one. And we'd already... Um, uh, lost a guy so you know uh, we already got some dead folk and other friends that have lost some limbs so you know it's a very very real threat and they're going off all the time just because the sun goes in front of a cloud and boom just the temperature change is setting off these landmines so really thick with the mines we're driving down the road and uh and he goes okay take the next left and i'm looking and he wants me to turn left onto a gravel road. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't want to go on there. And and um, he's not telling me anything other than go left on that gravel road. So this is like rule number one that you never break it. He's telling me to break it. And there's a sign right there, Minarano, means it's it's landmine. I'm like, oh, man. But And I'm looking at him. Well, is it cleared? He, instead of answering me like, yeah, it's cleared, he just says, just turn down the damn road. All he had to do is tell me it was cleared. And he didn't. Huh. So here I am, white-knuckled on this gravel road, looking for little prongs maybe sticking out of the gravel. Just absolutely, ugh. And I'm crawling so slow. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, because there's no protection. It's an open, uh, it's called an iltis. It's like an open Jeep convertible thing. Like, there's no okay. protection. And um, I've got a little ballistic blanket that uh, um, <laughs> won't do shit and hasn't. And... Um, 
so I'm, I'm doing this for almost a kilometer before I turn around the corner, then I see the engineers. And then I realize, oh, this is a cleared route. But I didn't know that for a full kilometer. And he's just looking at me like, what's wrong with you? So that's kind of a prick thing to do. But yeah. what I realized, and there's several stories about the guy like this, but what I realized is that he had no ability whatsoever to read emotion, to understand situational awareness, to have empathy for other human beings, because he has freaking Asperger's. Oh, okay. So it, it didn't, like, I put that math together way down. Like, he's somewhere on the autism spectrum. And um, so he just, he doesn't get it. If he knew better, he'd do better. And that mm-hmm. little bit of uh, figuring that out, when I shared that with other friends that were injured by him, uh, for, for other stories, of which there are many, it's like, oh, well, I can kind of let that go a little bit now. I can, I can find yeah. a way to release that and to forgive. Was something horrible done to me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if he knew better, he'd do better. So I just forgive him and, and let it go. Yeah, that's a great, that, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because it really is an internal, it is an internal thing for me when I always think of what's going on around me and I'm lashing out at people, I really need to look back at myself and think, okay, what, who's really suffering in this situation? Like who's, who's paying the price for this, for this action? And it's me. And right. If I, it's not, God, it's not easy to do, right. It's it's not, it's not an easy thing to do at all. It took me over 25 years to go to that one. You know, I, I try to think of, you know, who gets my energy or who gets my F's, if you know what I mean of, you know, where am I going to put my energy? And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's difficult to go against where your brain wants to put it. And you have to kind of reel it back. I'm like, no, don't, don't go there. Don't give that situation energy. Just release it if you can, right? And put your energy in other places where it probably deserves. Because often the opposite side, well, for me anyways, I wasn't putting energy where I should. And I was dwelling on the energy that was just hurting me in the end. So that's a good point. A phrase that uh, seems appropriate and one that people really need to meditate on is who angers you controls you. Yeah. Who angers you controls you. So if you hate a particular person for whatever reason and you just carry that around all day going, oh, that son of a bitch. (laughs) You know, you've made that person your puppeteer. There's strings on you. You are now yeah. a marionette, and you are being controlled because you can't let it go. Yeah. And so, how many people do we know like that are like that? All day, I every know day. Lots of, every day, right? <laughs> and, and I was like that. Uh, and I know a lot. That's a great. That's a great statement. A lot of people that I, in emergency service that I know, are, are being controlled by people that have wronged them. But it's hard to let it go. It is. Well, having compassion for ourselves, having compassion for others, having compassion for people that hurt you is difficult. You know, um, like I said, over 25 years, the war was in 1994. And the stuff that happened there, the worst stuff was all from leadership. It was all from people that were in charge of me that treated me uh, in a horrible, horrible way. But if they knew better, they'd do better. And at least yeah. I'm not them. <laughs> you know, I'd, yeah. ra- I'd rather be the injured me than the person do- creating the injuries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always think of role models. And 
typically we think of role models or people that have done good things that we want to model, but the opposite could be said as well. So these people that we, we perceived as wronging us, they can be just as valuable of role models as teachers for me to what not to do. That's how I kind of see it is like, yeah, what he did, whether they know it or not, what they were doing. And I like to think that maybe they don't understand the, the damage they're causing. I'm going to make sure that I'm not like that. I'm going to make sure that I don't do that to other people and use that experience or use these people as, as role models. So I, I have a different definition of what a role model is than I think most people do. Well, you see people all the time uh, who had just horrible parents and they got one of two choices. Continue the cycle and blame your horrible parents or break the cycle and use those horrible parents as the what not to do. And I've seen both. I've seen the most spectacular yeah. parents in the world um, that, that came from really dysfunctional, terrible, abusive parents. And um, just break the cycle. Yeah. Mark, that's not as easy as, as he has done as said, right? Yeah, but that's right. Yeah. It, it's, oh, yeah, nobody's, right. nobody's calling any of this shit easy. No. <laughs> I know, like my psychologist said, well, God, just, just, uh, you know, just think happy thoughts. I'm like, what? Like, if, if I could just think happy thoughts, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. But that is a technique, I believe, where, you know, they're trying to use positive psychology on me and stuff. But, but I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Like, if I could just do that, if I could just turn this trauma off, I would. Like, I'm, and then I'm like, just give me, give me although there is wisdom in that though, Dan, because you can't yeah. suck and blow at the same time. So yeah. you only, um, you can only be on one channel or the other. And so when you're in a spin and upset about whatever it is, if you use the gratitude exercise, it flips your brain because you can't suck and blow at the same time. So, mm-hmm. uh, when you are in, um, like the hamsters are on the wheel about some traumatic event, take that deep breath and go, what am I grateful for? And do that, the practice of gratitude every day. There's a um, Japanese practice. I forget the name of it at the moment. It'll probably come to me. But um, if, there's a couple of Japanese CEOs that do it. And 1,000 times a day, they find something to be grateful for a thousand times a day. Like it's just constant. It's like, oh, that tree is so beautiful. The leaves on that tree. Did you see that bug? I'm so grateful that that bug just uh, flew by so that I could witness that. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, did you see the smile on that mother? She looked at her child. That is beautiful. And um, uh, oh my God, I, I woke up today. That's pretty lucky. A lot of people didn't. You know, it's like, oh, I'm in a traffic jam. Wait a second. I'm in a car. I have my own car. I yeah. got, I'm in a vehicle? How great is that? Yeah, I'm in a traffic jet, but I got my own vehicle? Wait a second, I have a job? That's yeah. pretty great. You know, I'm yeah. late for work. Wait a second, I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I understand, like, I understand what, my, what she was doing. I understand that yeah. she was using positive psychology on me. But I, you know, for me in that, in that state, and I hear many of my peers complain about their therapists that do that. <laughs> I just think happy thoughts, and I recognize that uh, that as a as a treatment modality that they're they're trying to they're trying to get you to I'm not sure which one is better sucking or blowing but change your change your 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 perspective on how things are. Well, uh, but perspective, but, that, but it's well, also it's a neural pathway. So if you're going mm-hmm. down a rabbit hole with one neural pathway, um, you have to ch- uh, 
take an off ramp somewhere. So that's yeah. what it is. And the, the gratitude exercise is an off ramp because if you're going down the wrong road, find the next overpass, you know, and yeah. get, and get on the right road. Um, so it's not uh, fairy farts and rainbows. It's, it's neurology and, and that's the power of it. So, I mean, and then the mindfulness piece comes in. So when you're doing one of your art pieces, right, you have to be in a certain mindset to let that flow. Well, while you're in that flow state and you're creating that incredible art that you make, you can't suck and blow at the same time. You, you, yeah. can't, you can't create that art in that state of mindfulness and while you're just channeling from source and creating this beauty, you can't do that and be going down uh, a negative rad, rabbit hole about a bad call you had 10 years ago. You can't do both at um, the same time. Well, Mark, I don't know if I'm going to agree with that, okay. to be honest. Yeah, for the, for, for the art process, for the process that I'm going through. So for me, I think generally speaking, you're right. Absolutely. But for my process, when I create the artwork, I really need to feel everything, right? So I'm not, I need to feel the bad as well as the good in order to create the artwork. And I need to acknowledge the bad um, in order for it to be authentic. Okay. Right? I, so used to, I used a bad example. Yeah. Um, uh, but, what I am sorry, doing though is I am, I am, uh, um, I'm, I have to be authentic and I'm being real yep. and I have to really, and sometimes it is really dark and that's why people really look at it and think, well, it's really dark. It's like, uh, well, that's the injury. <laughs> some of the stuff is, cause some of the stuff I, I do arc about suicide, yeah. right? Some of it is pretty, is pretty, pretty bad. But when I am doing that, which I think is similar to what you're saying is that while I'm creating that artwork, I am using a specific part of my brain different than what I am would be using if I'm dwelling on something. Yeah. So as I'm doing the artwork, I'm kind of drawing on those darker parts from a different space in my brain. So like if this is my art side, left side, right side. So this is my art side. This is where I create the artwork. Um, and I really have to acknowledge the, the darkness that I'm doing it from here instead of actually acknowledging it. I'm kind of going in and picking at it instead of really being in it. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of, your statement is true actually. Now that I think about it a second time that you're right. I, I am drawing, I am acknowledging, but I am going there, but I'm going there from a safer place. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll use a, a better example. Um, when somebody's having a panic attack, one of the tools that are used by uh, therapists and peer supporters is when, when somebody's just really in a flap, okay, take a breath. What are five things that are blue in this room? Name them now. Mm-hmm. And then you name the, you, then you start looking around, you're looking for blue. Now name five things that are red and you name, uh, name five um, things that are square, name five things that are round. And because you can't suck and blow at the same time. You are now taking another neural off-ramp and you're, and you're focused on what's blue, what's red, what's square, what's, what's round. And that is a... Um, I was suffering from panic attacks for a while and there's one in particular that really sticks out. Actually, I had one uh, when I met you at that uh, Canmore thing. So mm-hmm. uh, it was starting to come up. I'm like, oh shit, here it comes. So this is exactly what I did at the Canmore event. I went to a window, which is my shtick, 
and uh, there's the beautiful mountain range there. Mm-hmm. I start from the right-hand side of the mountain range, and there's a reason for that, because you read from left to right. So when you're scanning left to right, you just kind of skip. When you scan right to left, you don't skip. Oh, that's interesting. You, you see, so you you um, you go slower and you see more. You don't skip across. Mm-hmm. And uh, so from right to left, I just trace the mountain line, the line, the the um, the horizon yeah. of the mountains, very 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 slowly. And then I pick a tree and I do the same thing. And I'm tracing around this the tree counterclockwise from so that it's from right to left, and uh, doing that while I'm breathing. And then I just settle down. And like, okay, there it is. And I'll, I'll remember where this window is if it comes back. But you can't suck and blow at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And I guess, so is that, that is rewiring your brain, right? I guess doing your well, neural pathway work? The, the, the neural pathways of fight, flight, freeze are there. So you can't undo it. All you can do is create new neural pathways. And when you do these gratitude exercises or five things that are blue or uh, um, bringing, when you are manually bringing yourself back into a state of calm, you, it creates a sort of a muscle memory for your brain. So if you do it as a regular practice, as a, as a, as a purposeful practice of mindfulness, you just start doing it without even realizing it before it even becomes a problem. So the, 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 the bad pathways are still there for fight, flight, freeze. The anxiety pathways, they're still there. But if you're so used to, um, uh, my, my ex-wife just moved. When I pick up my kids, I still make wrong turns to where she used to live. Because yeah. I'm, I'm used to that automatic pilot, right? So it's going to take a while of going to the other address when I pick up my kids before that one becomes natural. So it's awkward at first because you really got to think about, okay, where the hell am I again? And how do I get from A to B from this location? Because I'm used to yeah. doing it from the other location. It's the exact same thing. But it, it just takes practice and purpose, like do it purposefully. Yeah. You know, do you, what do you know? How much do you know about accelerated resolution therapy? Zero. therapy. Zero. I've okay. actually never heard of that one, which is amazing. Okay. I've never I, heard of it. I, I know about... Point zero one. Of, I know a little <laughs> bit about it, not a whole lot. So, what's it called I, again? I, accelerated resolution. Accelerated resolution therapy. And again, I don't know a ton about it. But what you're talking about is, is I believe, is similar. So, what that does, if I'm correct, and if anyone's watching this that are art therapy therapist, I apologize if I'm totally going to butcher this. But uh, my belief is that what I've been told, what actually what I remember, is that art therapy. So it's not doing art therapy, it's accelerated resolution therapy, will separate the emotion with the memory, meaning that you can have that memory. So the the process is that you remember that event, but then you don't have the, the, you don't have the associated reaction, emotional reaction to it because the way they do it, I think, well, I believe it's actually through eye movements when they're doing it is that they re reformat that pathway so that it doesn't, automatically go from that memory right into that emotion that's the goal of a lot of different therapies if they're done yeah. right uh, i went through art for years and actually ended up doing although it did help me with some things it did more harm than good um yeah. i didn't have panic attacks before and great thanks art yeah uh, but that was just because of how it was done um th- there are different routes to the same 
destination. There's a group called 220 trying to turn the 22 suicides a day into zero. And they use a form of NLP that reassociates memories so that you don't have the, um, you can still remember it, but as an observer. And, mm-hmm. and the emotional triggering, for lack of a better word, is just gone. And it's, it's really rapid. It doesn't take months and years to, to chew through it. Um, uh, I've had uh, the fellow on the show. So 220 is the name of that organization. It's a form of NLP that seems to really, really work. Another That's one is uh, reconsolidation therapy. Genevieve yeah. Boudreau out of Ontario or Quebec. I don't know, but I um, know the GTA. She's French, but uh, she's working in the GTA. Um, uh, really high efficacy, like eighty percent efficacy. Mm-hmm. What What have you yeah, done? That. That's, that's, our, that's our TM therapy. I've, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, what have you? Yeah, what, so what's for, What's worked for you, Dan? So for me, I did well. Art, like creating artwork, was a big, my probably my main part because uh, I think that really focused a certain part of my brain and allowed me to purge and get rid of these things in my head to process them. Uh, I also did cognitive processing therapy, which is like cognitive behavioral therapy, but it focuses more on trauma. So those two things were what really worked for me. But what I found interesting is that I, my therapist wouldn't do EMDR with me. And I know lots of people where EMDR worked. I know a few people where they felt it was triggering, right? Because they have to relive those experiences. But uh, they said it wasn't best practice. So they didn't do it on me. And I don't know if I was really a candidate for it. I'm not sure. but, But for me, it was cognitive processing therapy. Um, art therapy and peer support therapy, which is what I get when I create the artwork and I share it and people react to it in a positive way. Well, where's the best place for people to find you? Is it uh, dansunphotos.com? Yeah, dansunphotos.com. If you just Google Dansun, it's the first three letters of my first and last name. Uh, So D-A-N-S-U-N. I'll populate the first few pages of Google there and you can see all my social media stuff is on there but yeah dance on photos will probably be the first one and that's my main website where you can see most of my stuff there all right brother well i think we're about there thank you so much okay. for joining me today oh yeah God, it goes so fast uh, it does yeah. Like, wow. we're at yeah 50 minutes already yeah but uh dan please stay on the line i got a couple questions for you offline sure great thanks you're listening to operation tango romeo the trauma recovery podcast for veterans first responders and their families Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud.